It's been a consequential nine days, Ben. The Chiefs were victorious in the Super Bowl, and you are moving back to New York. It's true. So one really sad thing, and then one very happy thing. I will also say happy sad, though, because I'm really excited to be a rector. I feel called away to church, but I'm really going to miss the people here in Birmingham. Made some really good relationships. I had the boss of all bosses. So if you're in Birmingham, go to the Cathedral Church of the Advent. But if you're in Brooklyn or nearby St. John's Episcopal Church starting next month, I'll be there. But the so, real sad thing is this the Eagles losing and good game could have been a better game. There you go. Could have been a better game. I have no disagreement there. I'm making no excuses. Patrick Mahomes was a beast, but could have been a better game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so it's we're recording this Friday afternoon. The news of your departure has broken. So has it been a wild 24 hours of just getting lots of text messages or emails or having to kind of talk about it anew every yeah, time well, someone asks? So actually, the news was supposed to go out next week, but the diocese accidentally leaked it. It was an accident. Nobody's to blame. Is there like a diocesan Edward Snowden, you know, just like <laughs> hacking in yeah. and just dumping files? Yeah. No, but I, I had uh, some lunches and dinners scheduled with people because I wanted to tell people face to face. So last night I made a bunch of calls. If I didn't call you, I'm very sorry. I kind of got worn out for a little while. But again, love Birmingham, love this cathedral. There are going to be two incredible people who are going to come and be clergy here. But I'm also excited for the future, excited for New York. St. John's is really a startup. It's a 200-year-old startup. But they know they've got to get people in there. And I've got an incredible music director with me. And, and Chelsea's going to help out with youth and family. So it's going to be a bomb church. It's going to yeah, be awesome. Chelsea will be a major draw. That's um, <laughs> true. Forget me. <laughs> what are like, So what are your hopes, man? Like, What are you going to do? Uh, well, I'm just going to hustle, to be completely honest. I'm looking forward to like preaching all the time. I know some people say, like, oh, man, that's such a burden. And I'm probably going to say it's a burden in like two months. But no, I, I, I love preaching so much. I'm going to try to bring in teaching classes soon. And really, honestly, just get to know the people there, earn their trust. Yeah. What, what, what do we do? What do we even do, Nick? <laughs> yeah, I think to whatever your experience, you know, reflects mine. I think it's the um, dual hat of like, leader of an organization with budgets and vestries and you know that's a hat you wear most of the time and then it feels like you're just kind of like doing the preaching thing on the side that's what's hard it's like when i think when people say preaching it all the time is difficult I, my guess is that it's not so much that preaching all the time is difficult it's preaching on top of all the other organizational hats you wear hiring firing goal setting yeah. you know that's the stuff that is yeah. important but very time consuming and very different part of your brain than, you know, trying to be creative and interesting with what you have to say. So that's, that's the challenge, I think. Yeah. I think when you have a three person staff church, it's probably not as difficult as your situation with a big church. Nevertheless, you're exactly right. There's going to be a whole lot of moving parts that they are not on my task list right now that will be. Yeah. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Honestly, you know what I'm most excited about right this second is on days off going to Coney Island and just chilling on the beach by myself <laughs> wow what well what about with your wife you're oh she'll no? be working my day you know it's gonna be like monday or friday uh, wow <laughs> all right ben the boss is really laying down the law no that's great man all right let's get into the article uh just because i don't think people are honestly i bet people want to hear more about your job than they do about the second article <laughs> the 39 articles but i'm not giving the people what they want um uh, right. giving the people what they need 
Yeah, that's right. Which is some precise Christology. Article two, the word or son of God who became truly man. And it goes like this. The son who is the word of the father was begotten from eternity of the father and is the true and eternal God of one substance with the father. He took man's nature in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary of her substance in such a way that two whole and perfect natures, the Godhead and manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided. Of these two natures is the one Christ, true God and true man. He truly suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried to reconcile the Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of men. Uh, ben, I wonder if we can make an executive decision right here at the outset of this pod. So the article is four sentences long. Three of those sentences are in many ways a continuation of the first article, which is trying to be very precise and normative in the way that they described the relations of the Godhead in Article 1 or the relation of Christ, the two natures of Christ. The final sentence is about the history of Christ, suffering, crucifying, dying, being buried. But I wonder if we could save that and then do like a couple episodes on that and Article 3 and 4, because the whole history of Christ, his death, burial, descent, and resurrection is really more in view in those later articles. Does that make sense? Could we, could we try that? Yeah. So you're saying, okay, so drop off the crucified dead. Etc. Yeah. And we'll just like pick that back up next week. Yeah. And then we'll do maybe like however many episodes we need on articles three and four. So really, let's just say this episode is about the first three sentences of article two, which is again, trying to be very precise in defining exactly who Jesus is. And yeah. what the article does here, trying to take language from the creed, different creeds mostly, and just very, very succinctly and precisely, for the ninth time, precisely describe who Jesus is. And it stresses at the beginning the pre-existence of the one we know as Jesus or the Son or Word of the Father. I heard one commentator describe these opening sentences of Article 2 as, it's like John chapter 1, the prologue of John's gospel in the language of the creed, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the Word of God who was with God, begotten from eternity of the Father, of one substance with the Father who took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So Ben, you know, it's kind of a softball here. What does the pre-existence of Christ mean to you? Oh, uh, well, actually, I mean, my last year of seminary, I got a pretty good answer for this. When you do biblical studies, or even if you're just a Christian and you read the First Testament, the Old Testament, then you get onto the New Testament and you get introduced to Jesus and you're told that Jesus is God, but you read the Old Testament and you're just like, well, whenever it refers to God, I'm, I only think of God the Father. But when we talk about big word ontology or the being of God and what we talked about in the first article, that Jesus and the Father are one in being with each other, that means that we see Jesus all over the first Testament. When God speaks the cosmos into existence, we have learned after the fact that Jesus was there. Jesus is the one doing that. And the same God who was there in the beginning there at the burning bush, is the one who is conceived in a virgin's womb and becomes one of us. What does that do for me? I mean, it, it, it's cool. I don't know if it like makes me have warm fuzzies and <laughs> edifies me, but I don't know. It, it helps me read the Old Testament. It helps me preach on it too. Yeah, I know. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, the lectionary, obviously, this week uh, is the transfiguration. So I've been thinking a lot. Of, I'm preaching on that. So I've been thinking a bit about 
how the disciples, one way of, of thinking about what was going on there is that the disciples were seeing Jesus, one commentator used this phrase, uh, from the inside out, which is kind of, you know, pretty powerful. And the idea that like uncreated light radiates from the being of the man, Jesus, and you think, whoa, where's that coming from? You know, I'm sure Peter and James and John were like, what? Uh, we knew you were cool and could like, you know, make sick people better. But what is that? And, you know, I think the doctrinal formulation to make sense of an event like that, I think in some ways is article two, that Jesus, who we know as Jesus, who truly suffered, was crucified, died and was buried, was also in some very mysterious way, the eternally begotten word of God of one substance with the father. And I have, I'm just going to keep repeating the same words if I try and explain what exactly that means. Yeah. But the, I think um, the begotten word is pretty important. Uh, and, and it's in the creed and it's weird, right? Uh, what does it mean that the son proceeds from the father and how did, how are they still equal? And the assemblers of the creed and these articles are at pains to say that Jesus is the son of God. He is begotten of God, but it's, there's no point in time it's begun. It's, it's forever. It's always yeah. been happening. It's always. And so while, again, it's not something that like is super edifying. I think it, it's kind of what we talked about a little bit last week. It's that for the cross and for the human Christ, for us to resonate with him so much, we need these eternal truths about him to be real as well. Because otherwise, as we said last time, he's just one who suffered like us and he can be a good moral exemplar or an inspiration, but if he's also one in being with the Father, that this suffering dying on our behalf is efficacious. Yeah, it matters. It works. It really matters. So we need all this stuff that doesn't seem all that edifying or might even seem boring, language we don't even use that maybe we can update, but we need to hold that paradox together. Both of these articles are saying that, that if Jesus the human who we all love, who loves us, is not God. Well, then, I mean, it's great that someone loves us, but it's kind of weird because he's dead. The reason why it matters and why it is the best news ever is that he's God, he's conquered death, he's alive. Mm -hmm. And that this, what he has affected is true for us for all time. Yeah, that to kind of return to what you said. Yeah, I mean, we, to whatever degree you know what the word begotten means, which my guess is a lot of people are like, I don't totally know what that word means. You know, I looked it up in the dictionary as you were talking, just like exactly figure out what it means. But yeah, it's like we use it as a synonym for like procreation, you know, like, and you can imagine King James, someone begot that someone. And I, so when you see that word in the creed, it makes it seem like there was some event that happened whereby the son came into being. But I think what that word begotten is more describing is like an eternal relation. Like there's some way in which the son is always an expression of the father, but it's not like there was a moment where the son kind of came into being. And that just stretches our mind's capacity to conceptualize or articulate. But I think that at the same time, like I mean, if, if we want to poo-poo that, man, it's I mean, take a look at contemporary physics and it stretches your mind just like this story. oh yeah i'm not like, poo-pooing it I'm, no, I, know my you're not. I know you're not. but like yeah. people are very tempted to people do it all the time it's like ah, oh, well this is useless and it's, i think it really is what we said oliver o'donovan was saying we must have the paradox we must have the the truths that we can't wrap our mind around that jesus is eternal one in being with the father that god is other because if he's not other then when he becomes one of us, it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't yeah. really accomplish anything. 
feel yeah. like I keep saying the same thing over and over too. Yeah, you kind of do, but I mean, so do I. Yeah, the uh, I I was thinking about this because if you read one of the one of the reasons why this language can be hard to get into, and why there's something like the articles or even like the Nicene Creed, honestly, like a lot of people like saying the Creed because it's familiar and has this place in the liturgy but like as a matter of fact like how much meaning are you deriving from it i think what's hard is that there is this very very stark contrast between the very the very 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 purposeful every word labored every clause labored over of in the articles and then what you read in the bible which is like a bunch of stories like jesus did this then jesus did that and then someone said this and then jesus taught that and so i think it's reasonable to imagine people saying like why can't i just do the story thing and not get bored in like dense philosophical stuff and i do as it relates to the gospel which is kind of what you've been saying like well if jesus isn't god then the gospel loses a lot of power i think downstream from that in a more practical way like like if you read the New Testament or read the Gospels with some of this philosophical stuff in mind, it really does add a lot of juice to the story, <laughs> you know, because when you see Jesus interact with people, like I was in a Bible study earlier this week with a bunch of pastors and our bishop, and we were reading John 8, Women Caught in Adultery story, which has a very tortured history in terms of manuscripts and stuff. But setting that aside, just like the, let's just assume this happened. And let's assume this isn't our New Testament for a reason. And, you know, the stuff that Jesus does in there is so weird. And you know the story, and I knew the story, but the weirdness of what he did just really stood out to me. You know, everyone's screaming, what do you think? What do you think? The Pharisees are wondering that. All the crowds that Jesus was teaching, wondering that. I'm sure the woman is like, what are you going to say? And Jesus is operating on this totally different plane. You know, it's just like doodling in the dirt. And he has to be continually asked to weigh in on it. And you think, what kind of composure, what soundtrack are you listening to there, man? And it's, you know, stuff like this, in some weird way, I think that helps make sense of how Jesus was able to be so perfectly calibrated in his response to people's needs and would do things that made no sense in the moment, but at the end were like, of course, that was the perfect thing to do, right? Because mm -hmm. if Jesus is, if he's just the smartest person you ever could imagine, or the most emotionally intelligent person you could ever imagine, those people always mess up. But something around his unique nature, clarified in the articles, helps us see why his responses to people in moments of crisis or desperation were just perfect, never failed. I do think in this article, we have the transition from the otherness of God to the nearness, to the like usness, because we read that he took on man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin. Notice it like on one level, this is addressing the Gnostics, those who said that Jesus didn't take on an actual body, it was just spirit, whatever. But also what it's doing here is it's showing how the natures are brought together. He, Yes, he's fully God, and in that is incapable of change or suffering, and that's good news. And yet, he is really human, so much so that we go to the uh, I almost said contraception, conception in the womb, and here he takes on her substance. So we're talking about the father's substance or, or God's substance, and then we're talking about the woman's substance or humanity. And here's where we have those that, that paradox brought together that we're saying we need for the good news to become real for us. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm sure there's historical reasons why Jesus was conceived in a virgin's womb, you know, which is another one of those paradoxes. But I'm, that is something I've frankly never given a ton of thought to. I mean, of course, there's some obvious reasons, but 
God could work through any means, right? Like any anything that God creates is truly created so that God chose to become one of us in the womb of a virgin as opposed to like even working through a more natural process of conception. <laughs> That's underlined in the creed is interesting. And then what is this? Uh, what do you make of this one sentence or the final clause in this sentence? He took man's nature in such a way as two and whole perfect natures, the Godhead and manhood were joined together in one person. Here's the clause, never to be divided. What is what is that saying? Never to be divided. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely referring to old wars over natures of Christ. It's trying to show us that these two paradoxes are always together. There, you can distinguish between Jesus being fully God and fully human, but you can't divide it. It was Nestorius, right, who, who kind of talks like that. <laughs> we really don't need to get into that. But for our purposes, it's really highlighting that. Mm. Yes, he's fully one of us, as the great 90s song goes. Yes, he is one in being with the Father. How? We don't know. We can distinguish between these natures, but these things come together in him. Mm. Is that yeah. clear, Ahmad? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I do think... And I mean, honestly, it's like, I probably think like this. I, I wonder how many folks that are in just our churches on Sunday morning or in churches on Sunday morning, do you have this sense that Jesus would, and almost like you would in a video game, like have different modes? He's in mm-hmm. God mode when he is creating that, miraculous bread and fish, but he's in human mode when he's hungry in the wilderness. And I, I think that's, again, a very an eminently understandable, even reasonable if simple way of thinking through the gospels. And it feels somewhat inevitable to just not imagine that Jesus had these different ways of being. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of leaning into my humanity here with all this empathy. And (laughs) I'm really, I'm really, you know, leaning into my divinity here when I raise Lazarus from the dead. But I, I don't know if this is the actual intention of in the writers in the articles, but it seems like one way to apply that never to be divided, not just for all time as it relates to ontology, but on a more practical level, Jesus was always acting as both God and man. He was always acting in this two nature, one person way. And you can't divide them even in a practical way to interpret his actions as recorded for us in scripture. Is that is that right? I think so. And I think this is why you have folks who we mentioned last week, like Moltmann, who, who go and say, well, you know, if you can't divide them, well, then why is it that the human mode of Jesus suffers and the God mode doesn't? And, and yet mm. these articles make clear we're not, we don't really think that way. Right, right. Modalism right. is a heresy. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I think, I mean, I want to take the creeds very seriously and these articles very seriously. I do think you can get into rabbit trails where you find heretics under every rock. And that is, I don't think that was well, hopefully not the original intention. It's definitely not what we want to do in 2023, I, I don't think. But again, what's helpful for us is to hold together that paradox. We're dealing with the God human here who mm. takes on our sins who dies for us. And that's efficacious because at the same time, he's God. And we can distinguish between these natures, but if you divide it or break it in half, well, then it's the efficacious nature of what he's come to do is ruined. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I hope yeah. somebody gets something out of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure like great, the nerds man. are like, this is awesome, but... I guess we're all nerds if we're listening to this. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, man. Um, let's let's close with a little. Let's, let's go back to uh, Super Bowl Fifty Four. Uh, it was Super Bowl. It was Fifty Four, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm trying to forget it. 
So how sure were you that the Eagles were going to win going into halftime? I was not sure. I, I was very happy with how we played with the exception of that fluke fumble. And yeah, we were dominating clock control for the offense. But I know Andy Reid. I, I know the Chiefs. I know sometimes how we Eagles play in the second half. So I, I don't think I was, I was feeling good, but I really thought it was up in the air. Okay. I mean, did okay. you think it was like, oh, we're going to lose for the Chiefs? Um, I kind of did. I mean, I, I, I wasn't worried about the ankle thing. Like, I'm like, he's going to be back. And I just, I he's thought we were just going to run out of time, you gotcha. know? I mean, and arguably, I actually, we have a mutual friend, Ben and I, this guy named John Cooper Smith, who is uh, from outside Philadelphia, huge Eagles fan. And we don't like talk a ton, but we've been texting all the time in the lead up to the game about the Eagles and Chiefs. And he's like a very knowledgeable fan. And I was asking him, like, what are the, what are some of the weaknesses of the Eagles? Because all you heard all year was just this is like an unstoppable force. And he's like, man, our special teams is so bad and our punter is terrible. And I think that guy that was signed was not even like their normal punter. Because arguably, if we wouldn't have gotten that 90 or 60, whatever yard punt return, we might have run out of time. That's what I thought was going to happen is that we were just going to run out of time. Like, I didn't think the Eagles were going to have like a Falcons like collapse in the second half and just like turn over the ball on three downs like over and over again. I knew that even if they weren't scoring six after at, on every possession they were just going to eat a lot of clock because Jalen is just so good so I I, I thought we were just going to lose by virtue of the fact that we we're not going to have enough time to score and I mean that might have happened without that punt return it might have happened if we didn't get that arguable penalty <laughs> as well so uh yeah so yeah but I so I was not I mean Mahomes seems inevitable but I I was I was not particularly confident. I thought this is just they're just too unstoppable. And honestly, specifically Jalen, that we were stopping the run. It was yeah, awesome. But Jalen Hurts was just a beast, you know, he's so good. If he would have got the ball one more time, who knows. So Yeah. I mean, I think it was the Chiefs. It definitely was going to go to OT. It's definitely going to go to OT. I'm honestly a little afraid just you guys were going to win. But that's not what happened. The gods <laughs> smiled upon us. <laughs> And Travis Ke- Travis Kelsey will now be hosting Saturday Night Live. 